0: Uh, he's actually been introduced to our church before. If you guys remember Kevin Austin, he uh, is a big fan of Timothy James Mead. And actually, we've sung some of his songs in worship when Kevin was leading. So, uh, Also, small commercial break. Uh, he has CDs downstairs available. A great thing about being a professional musician is you can go anywhere in the world just by selling CDs. And I think he always has to sell like 300 of these to pay for his trip here. So if everybody here buys three... Yeah, he's covered. So actually, maybe more like 600 of these. Um, and we're we'll also to have his son TJ with us this morning. So welcome them. And we look forward to him ministering to us some more later. And I just realized I don't have my glasses, which is a bad thing. Only a bad thing if I'm going to read the Bible, which is a good thing. All right. Uh, I apologize this morning. I do not have a PowerPoint. Uh, so for those of you who are English as a second language, and it really helped by my PowerPoints, so I apologize. We'll just have to really pray the Holy Spirit helps. I had an outline this morning, and uh, I got done, and I was about ready to make it into a PowerPoint, and I thought, I really don't like this outline. It was just very confusing. And so that may be a sign of what's to come this morning. I don't know. <laughs> So I threw the outline away, and I said, well, God, you just got to help me make this clear. So we'll pray, and you can pray with me that the Holy Spirit will speak. So let's do that as we begin this morning. Uh, Lord, what a great reminder, uh, that song, Coming Home. Uh, Lord, we do drift so far away from you sometimes, sometimes through just our stubborn rebellion and sin. And sometimes more, sometimes more subtly, just by drifting far away, by forgetting, by getting caught up in everything else in life and forgetting to be with you. And Lord, we thank you that you are always, always waiting for us to come back, longing for communion and fellowship with us, that you always welcome us back home if we come back honest and and broken and longing for You. So Lord, I pray that wherever we are this morning, whether we're in Your arms or far away or somewhere in between, Lord, that You would draw us in this morning and that each of us would encounter Your embrace, uh, Your wonderful uh, arms that hold us and love us. Uh, Lord, what a great picture that is. And we just pray that You would do that for each of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this morning we're going to wrap up the section, the passage of the uh, abiding in Christ in John chapter 15, and uh, this morning I want to talk about being a friend of God. Let me just read a couple verses at the end of this passage, um, starting at verse 14, actually let's start at verse 13 of chapter 15 of John. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Uh, if you were to define what friendship is, how would you define it? What is a friend? We kind of know what it is by experience. Uh, let me ask another, maybe more basic question. Do any of you have a friend? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you need to work on that, all right? Uh, I know from experience it's not an easy thing. You know, Friends are not uh, something you just go to Lotus and buy. Uh, I wish it was that easy. Although nowadays with the internet, actually, it's, so it's just one click away. I actually have, I think, like 120 friends. People are constantly asking to be my friend. I get friends, I get friend requests, and it's it's perfect because I don't actually have to talk to them. I don't actually ever have to do anything for them. I just become a little name on their list, right? Um, but friendship was, of course, more than that, and uh, it, it really is. Um, a close connection with another person. Uh, It's built on trust, on sharing our lives together, on being able to really share our heart with somebody and have them share their heart with us. Uh, A good friend is someone who accepts you as you are, and even as they get to know you and come to know a lot about you and know your strengths and your weaknesses, they still like you and want to be your friend. Uh, Friendship. A good friend is somebody who, I believe, helps us become a better person. They have influence to shape our life. And we, in turn, have influence to shape and direct their life. That somebody, when we're about to do something incredibly stupid, loves us enough to say, You know, Tim, that's incredibly stupid. Don't do that. And if we uh, care about our friends, we listen to their words. Well, in this passage, Jesus uh, says that he does not call us slaves, he calls us friends. That uh, he longs for us to be in a friend relationship with him. Uh, I really appreciate the song that Tim sang right before we began. Uh, What a great picture of Jesus, of God, welcoming us home as a friend, as a father, but as a father who is also a close friend. And I would like to distinguish, because in our world, because of internet and you know all this, you know Facebook and all this stuff. Friends can become just kind of anything. I would like to distinguish here that what what Jesus was talking about was something more than just a friend. In fact, I know how this works. Like in the dating world, becoming just friends is usually a downgrade, right? You've been kind of dating, and you know you get the old. I think we should be just friends. That's a move down, right? And that's not really what we're hoping for, right? So. You know, In a lot of contexts, friends can mean a lot of things. And when Jesus uses the word here, he really has the idea of being best friends, being close friends, of a certain kind of relationship that is very intimate. And that's what he's been describing through this whole passage of the, the image of the vine and the branches, a closeness where his life fills us and where he cares for us and where we share things together. Uh, so I like to distinguish it's not just, just friends, not just a friend, But what he's talking about here is a very close, intimate friendship. Now, of course, we know that in our world of friends, uh, while I would like to have lots of friends, I wish that everybody on my Facebook could be my dear, close, best friend. The reality is I don't have the ability to do that. Uh, For me, because of time, because of my own selfishness, because of just the way relationships work in, in the real world, I can only have a very small circle of close, close, intimate friends. However, with Jesus, because He is God, He is infinite, uh, there is no limit to the number of deep, close, uh, best friends He can have. And He invites all of us to be that. In fact, if we are really abiding in Christ, what He is telling us is that we enter into a relationship with Him as a friend. As a close, personal friend. Well, I want to talk a little bit this morning, hopefully clearly, uh, about what it means to be a friend of God. Uh, how many of you would like to be a friend of God? Uh, I would. Now, there's a part of me that says, I want to be a friend of God, but I like my real friends better because they're real. Right? I can talk to them. So we want to talk about that too, how we can develop a relationship with Christ that's so real, so deeply personal, that, uh, that it's better than any human friendship could possibly be. And I believe God, Jesus wants that. He wants a relationship with Him that's Concrete, tangible, real, personal, intimate. Um, It's interesting, Jesus offers this really to all of us, all of his disciples. He says simply, if you obey me, if you love me and obey my commands, you are my friends. Uh, He extends that to his disciples, he extends that to us. Um, To really get the impact of that, we have to go back to the Old Testament and understand a few things about friendship from the Old Testament perspective. In the Old Testament, how many people? Here's a t- tribute question. I have no prize, but you'll get glory if you know the answer. How many people are named as a friend of God in the Old Testament? How many? How many say 10? How many say more? How many say less? Okay, lesses have it. That's good. How many say 5? 4. 3. Three. Okay, we had a couple of threes, two, couple of twos, one, a few ones. Correct answer, two. Moses and Abraham. Actually, Abraham. David didn't even make the cut. Uh, I think you can make a case for it, but he's never actually named technically a friend of God. Just the man after God's own heart, which eh, that may qualify. Uh, It's in the same category. Uh, I want to look at one of those friends this morning, Moses, to help guide us and help us think through what it meant. Here's the deal. For Old Testament context, friendship with God was not really offered or extended to everyone. Now, that was not God's original plan. It wasn't like God said, well, you know, I'm too good for people in the Old Testament, so I'll be very selective and I'll just pick out my two favorites. Right? That's not how it worked. Actually... It was God's heart and desire to be friends with everyone. Uh, his whole plan of of calling Abraham to the promised land and giving him this place and raising up a family, descendants, was so that he could be in the midst of them as a friend, as he was to Abraham. But Abraham's children had problems. Um, they were very dysfunctional, and the whole friendship thing with God didn't go too far with them. They ended up in slavery in Egypt. Again, God raises up Moses, another friend. He leads them out of uh, the Exodus, out of Egypt. And again, his purpose in doing this is to be friends with them. How do we know that? Well, because of the way he did this whole thing. Um, we won't go into the, all the history of it, but the way their camp was set up, that in the center of the camp was to be this tent, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. In it was the Ark of the Covenant and a lot of other cool stuff where they sacrificed and worshipped. And that tent was to be filled with the glory and presence of God. In the middle of the camp, in the very midst of them, God's presence was to reside and dwell. And they built the tent, they built the the stuff, and the idea was that God would be there. And uh, Moses goes up on the mountain to get some instructions from God, and he's gone for a really long time, and what happens? They start doubting, they start doubting Moses, they start doubting God. And so they build, a, they, they create a golden calf and begin to worship that. Remember it? In uh, Exodus chapter 32. As a result, God in his wrath and anger, uh, God's presence is a good thing. God's presence is also a dangerous thing. Okay? His presence in the midst of them consumed them. Three thousand were killed by the Levites. Uh, a plague broke out and many more thousands were killed. And so God says in, in the end of Exodus chapter 32 Moses, uh, I'm going to send you onto the promised land. I'm going I'm to f- fulfill my promises to this people. Uh, I'm going to send an angel who's going to be your, sky, your scout and your guide along the way. But I am not going to go in the midst of you. This is not going to work. Because if I go in the midst of you, the Israelites will never make it. They're too stubborn and rebellious. I will kill them all. Okay, now God's just being honest. Okay, this is not vindictive. This is actually grace. The reality is that God's holiness is is a consuming fire. Uh, friendship with God is is a dangerous thing. Okay, it's not like being friends as we would be with each other. He is holy and pure. He cannot tolerate sin. He cannot put up with those who would worship other gods. He's a very jealous God. He said, Moses, if I stay in the midst of you, they won't make it. Uh, We'll get down to the end. It'll be you and me, Moses, going to the promised land. And that's not my plan. So he says, I'm not going to go in the midst of you, literally. I'm not going to go in the middle of you. Right? So that's the scene when we come into Exodus chapter 33. And uh, Moses is distraught by this. He's going to look. And later in the chapter, he says, look, God, we can't do this if you don't go with us. Um, But God did not withdraw his presence completely. He wasn't in the middle of them, but he still was close by. And so we find in the middle of uh, uh, chapter 33, verse 7, it says this, It was Moses' practice to take a tent, a tent of meeting, not the same one that was in the middle. This is a different tent. Uh, A tent of meeting, and set it up some distance from the camp. Now, for a long time I thought he set it up from some distance from the camp For the reason that I would set up a tent some distance from the camp. Because he was an introvert who needed solitude and peace and quiet. That's what I thought. right? I like like being far away from the camp. The farther the better. That's not what it's about, though. It's because God has withdrawn his presence. And if Moses wants to meet with God, he needs to go a distance away from the people. Because God's not going to be in their midst anymore. But does that mean that God is no longer going to meet with Moses? Absolutely not. God's promised he would be with Moses. And where the people had become unholy in sin, Moses had still walked in obedience and still had access, direct access to the very presence of God. And so it says it was his practice to set up this tent a distance from the camp. And everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. So you see, God's not, God is not in anger, refusing to cooperate with them. His his moving himself out of the midst is not because he's done with them and he just wants to beat them up and be done with them. No, he's still patiently working with them. But now, because of their sin, they need to work through an intermediate person, a mediator. So they go to the tent and they talk to Moses and they say, Moses, you know, I'm having problems with one of my children. He's just a brat. I need to pray that God would somehow deal with him. And so Moses would go in and he would pray and he would come before God with their prayer requests. And Moses would meet with God. And then it goes on and it explains Moses' relationship. It says, when Moses went out to the tent of meeting, uh, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. And as he went in, a pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. So they had this visible sign of God's presence coming down and Moses and God meeting in this tent. And when that would happen, the people, um, uh, when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance, they would stand and bow in front of their own tents. So they now were forced to encounter God and experience His presence, but at a distance. They could watch it from their front door as it happened far away. Right? That's not exactly being close friends with God. Okay. And that was not God's harder intention. God's original plan for Israel was that they could walk out their front door around the corner to the tabernacle and could personally and directly encounter God's presence themselves. That was God's original plan. That is what God desired for Israel. Because of their sin and rebellion and stubbornness of heart, that became impossible. Uh, So now they had to watch it happen at a distance through an intermediary, a middle person, uh, who in this case was Moses. But for Moses, it was different. Uh, Moses would go inside the tent, um, and inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but Joshua would stay behind in the tent. Uh, God would meet, his presence would descend upon this tent at the entrance and inside this tent it said that Moses would meet with God face, face to face. Now, uh, that phrase face to face conjures up this image, in, in my mind anyway, of like Moses and, and God sitting at this table inside the tent, uh, face to face, person to person. Uh, that probably is not, in fact, that's certainly not what happened. Moses did not see God in the tent. Okay, the reason we know that is because a few verses later he asked God, I want to see you. I want, I want to have a visible uh, encounter with your presence. Okay, he was in the presence of God. He knew he was in the presence of God. But it wasn't a visible experience. Moses didn't see God. Okay, If you were to go in the tent, it would just be an empty, bare tent. And Moses would be sitting there. Nothing glowed in the dark. Okay? There wasn't cool organ music playing in the background. The ground didn't shake. It would look very much like, you know, the place where you go to pray and meet with God. Just very ordinary, very plain. This phrase, uh, face-to-face, was a Hebrew idiom that described a certain kind of relationship. Now, for the Hebrews in their day, the only kind of relationship that they can conceive was face-to-face. They didn't have telephones, they didn't have email, they didn't have Skype, they didn't have Facebook, uh, they didn't even have mail, they couldn't write notes. So for them, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you had to go in person and stand before them. So it'd be kind of redundant to say we had a face-to-face friendship. Well, for them, that's silly. Uh, It really expresses more the quality or kind of encounter you have with the person as you meet them. And the idea is, a person who can share heart to heart. That's really what the idiom means. It doesn't just mean that they were face to- face. It really has the idea of two people who can share their lives openly and honestly. It's describing a kind of relationship that God and Moses had. Okay, again, it's important to distinguish that God did not see Moses, did not see God. He didn't see some vision. He didn't see Jesus face to face as in live and in flesh. He prayed just like you and I do he prayed on his knees before God or in his heart before God and in his mind, uh, just as we do. But the quality of that relationship is described as one that was heart-to-heart, where Moses could speak very directly to God of the universe. And the God of the universe who created everything, who in the camp would bring death and destruction because these people were so sinful. This God who was a consuming fire that if you went in without the right preparation would kill you. Moses had a kind of relationship where he could talk to this God face-to-face as one friend would talk to another in a normal, conversational, intimate, personal relationship just as we would with another friend. That's the kind of relationship Moses had with God. Moses could explain his worries, his concerns. He could bring petitions from other people He could bring their burdens. And in that tent, God would answer back. God would speak wisdom into those situations, would speak his counsel and guidance into those situations. And in that tent, God poured out to Moses his plans. On the mountain, he got the Ten Commandments. But there were 613 commandments in all. And most of them he got in the tent, not on the mountain. Most of what we read in the first five books of the Old Testament God spoke to Moses as he met day after day after day in God's presence in that tent, and it was profound and deep, and at the same time it was not very dramatic. All right, it's important to get that distinction because I think sometimes we picture, you know, the, the pillar of cloud coming down. We have no no knowledge that Moses really sensed that. People on the outside side, I think, for Moses he was just praying in a tent, just him alone with God in his heart and soul. But in that place, Moses developed an intimate close friendship with God. Well, how did he do that? Well, he shared his heart honestly and directly with God. And then he knew how to hear God's voice speaking back into his heart and life. I do not believe, uh, uh, certainly on some cases, God spoke directly, verbally, audibly to Moses. However, I think in the tent of meeting, most of how God spoke was much in his heart and mind, just as God speaks to us. God puts thoughts and impressions into us. We have the great advantage of being able to read Scripture and hearing God speak to us through His Word. Moses didn't actually have that, since he actually wrote the first books of the Bible. Uh, you know, He didn't have the advantage of reading Scripture. We do. And... and he, A significant part of our friendship with God is walking through His Word slowly, carefully, letting Him speak to us directly through His Word. He speaks in many other ways. Sometimes He speaks through preachers. uh, Sometimes sometimes He speaks through musicians and worship leaders and songs. Sometimes He speaks through movies and books. Sometimes He speaks through your friends. God speaks to you. A part of what it means to be a friend with God is to have a conversation with Him face-to-face as one friend talks to another. Uh, If we don't have that kind of relationship with God, where we speak and we listen we hear His voice, we're missing out on the friendship part of that relationship. And God desires that for you and I. Uh, I think just about everybody raised their hand. They wanted to be friends with God. If you want to be friends with God, I guarantee you God Jesus desires it a thousand times more. He longs, he longed for Israel. I I believe God, when he moved outside the camp, he looked in longingly, desiring deeply to be in their midst. And grieved in his heart that he had to carry on this relationship at a distance through Moses. And how God, how the Holy Spirit, how Jesus longed for the day the day that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 15 when he could promise to all of us uh, greater love has no man than this that he lays down his life for his friends I am that friend Jesus says who has laid down my life for you I have given myself sacrificially on the cross why? so that God can come back in the camp to cover your sin and sinfulness to wash you clean So that no longer will we get destroyed by God's wrath. Because God took that punishment. He took that death in our place. So now, Jesus can offer, God can offer to us, an intimate, close friendship. Where even though we sin, even though we are just like Israel, just as rebellious, just as often tending to ignore God and wander away. Yet now, because of the blood of Christ, As that song said, you know, he welcomes us home. No matter how far away we go, God doesn't go far away. If we are far from God, it's not because God moved, okay? Right? It's kind of like back in the good old days in America, uh, I loved pickup trucks. You know, those big, long, big pickup trucks were the best. And uh, back in those days, big pickup trucks had bench seats. It was great for dating. When you're a high school kid dating, you know, there's none of this bucket seat stuff. We're talking like you can get right next to each other, right? And the uh, story goes a guy had his girlfriend, and, uh, you know, when they were first dating, they were right next to each other on that bench seat. Then, you know, they got married, and da, 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 pretty soon she's sitting clear on the other side of the bench seat, clear at the door. He says, You know, honey, what happened? Uh, well, actually, his, the wife said, You know, we used to be so close. We used to be so close, and we'd sit by each other. And he goes, Well, I haven't moved. I haven't moved, right? Well, that's that's how it is with God. In this friend relationship, He has not moved. If we are distant and far from God, it's because we've moved. Because we have drifted away. And the crazy thing is, whatever sin, whatever rebellion, whatever darkness of heart has moved us away from Him, He has removed it. There is nothing between us and God. Through the blood of Christ, we have free access into His presence. Direct access into His presence. Uh, Paul says that the angels, that the angels and prophets and people of old long to see this day when everyday normal people could be friends of God. For the Israelites, for people in the Old Testament, they could not imagine having this where anybody could have direct access to God as Moses did. could go to the tent of meeting, that private place where we meet with God, and encounter Him directly and speak face-to-face with God, heart-to-heart, sharing our lives with Him, and hearing Him speak His Word directly to us. Praise God, that's what He longs for us. And that's what Jesus promised us, and that's what He gives us. He says in John 15, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Uh, He says, servants, slaves, don't know what their master is doing. But I call you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from the Father. And it is this great picture of Jesus inviting us into a very small circle of friends. Up to this time, it was basically Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit sharing everything together. Everything that the Father was doing, he shared with the Son. Jesus said, I don't do anything except for what the Father is doing. And Jesus and the Father had this amazing relationship where they knew what they were doing. And Jesus acted and moved and lived his life in perfect harmony with the will of the Father. In deep, intimate relationship, as Jesus and, and, and the Father in deep friendship shared together daily their life. And now Jesus says, uh, we're opening that, by special engagement, we're opening up that circle to you. We want you to come into that circle of relationship where I and the Father share what we are doing together. I want you to be a part of that. I want you to know what I am about, what my business is, what my work is. right." He invites us into that. In fact, not only does he invite us into it, but he tells us plainly that he says, "Look, I, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I have actually chosen you for this relationship. You didn't choose me." Uh, when I was a kid, I was uh, I started school on the younger end. My birthday was in June, so I was one of the youngest kids in my class. And uh, when I was a kid, believe it or not, I was very small. I'm like pretty tall now, but back then I was just very small. And i uh, one of the smallest kids in my class. And uh, you know for a boy, school is all about well, it's about two things, about lunch. It's a big one, recess, right? And, uh, and playing sports. So that was for me anyway. And I remember many times we'd be playing softball or kickball or something on the field, and you got to divide teams. And the way it worked where I lived is you pick teams. And two guys, usually the two biggest guys who would beat everybody else up, become captains, and they pick their teams one by one. And so you all line up like this, and you're all in this line, and they start picking. And uh, one by one, kids disappear to this side or that side, and this side or that side. And, and then there was me. And, you know, all the girls got picked. You know, the crippled, crippled children got picked. You know... And it's like, oh, this is this is humiliating, and and finally it was like, you know, whoever, no no choice. Like, okay, all right, we'll take Tim, right? It's kind of how it was for me. Uh, it's painful, right? Painful. Nobody wants to be picked last. Well, Jesus does not pick us last. He picks us first. He chose us. Uh, he chose us for Himself. We are not His friends by our initiative. We are not his friends because we searched all the options and we felt like Jesus was the best option. Okay, Now at some point we did choose. At some point we did make a choice in this relationship, but ours wasn't the first choice. Jesus first chose us. And he didn't choose us because we somehow merited that choice. He didn't look down at your life. You might find this surprising, but he didn't look at you and say, you're so smart and good looking and talented, I need you to be my friend. Right? Right? Not the way it works. It's much more like this. It was much more like a person who went to the slums and found the dirtiest, poorest, most miserable, wretched creature he could find and said this person is not anywhere on my level. But because I uh, am a loving person, I want to make this person my friend. That really is what Jesus did to us. Uh, One of the One of the amazing things about this verse is that Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves who don't know what the Lord or Master is doing. I call you friends. Part of friendship requires a certain amount of equality. Right? Uh, If you are friends, you, you, you sense some equalness with the person you are friends with. Well, in reality, we are not equal with God. We are not equal with Jesus. But he really has lowered himself and brought him down to a place where he could be friends with us. It's kind of like me. I love kids. I love little kids. I love really short ones, maybe because I was short. And I love those three- and four-year-olds. But you, if you want to be a friend with a three- and four-year-old, you can't like say, hey, how about a game of chess, right? you got to go down to their level. So I've gotten quite good. In fact, this morning I was practicing this, and I got to put uh, pajamas on a doll. And you get to do that when you're friends with a four-year-old, right? You get to play kind of silly. You get to watch a lot of VeggieTales, tales which is a good thing I actually like VeggieTales, um, you relate with them in their world. If you want to be a friend with a four-year-old, you can't have to become a four-year-old. Jesus has done that for us. He has made himself equal, not because he is equal, but because he has come down to our level and he meets us where we are. And sometimes we ask for silly things and say silly things and do silly things. Sometimes we play silly games in our immaturity. And Jesus is right there, listening on our level, uh, being friends with a four-year-old, slowly helping us grow up, but meeting us where we are. Let me close with just two things. Jesus says, you know, friend, a friendship has this quality of open-hearted sharing. That's what Jesus wants with us. He wants to communicate, commune, speak to us. He wants us to speak to him. He wants to share our life. But like any good friendship, friendship ought to make us a better person. We ought to be the kind of friends to our friends who help them grow and become better people. Well, the good, you know, if, if I can do that, if you can do that in your relationships, if you can do that in your marriage or even with your children or with your coworkers. If you by by that relationship, by that friendship, can make them a better person. Okay, now imagine if you're friends with Jesus, what that could do for you, right? It's kinda of like I've always dreamed, I've always kind of had this fantasy about, I wonder what it would be like to be friends with Bill Gates. <laughs> you know? I wonder if it would help me financially. Hey Bill, you know I'm kinda of, I'm kinda of struggling here. Um uh, you got any kickbacks for me, right? Well, how much more is it to be friends with Jesus in terms of having impact in our life to make us better people? Well, Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you. He says "I." that word appointed really means to lay something down. He says, I have, I have chosen you as my friends and I have laid out before you a path. I have set before you a path. And that's why He says, if you want to be... He says, if you obey my commands, you are my friends. If you love me and do what I say, you are my friends. In other words, part of this relationship means walking down this path of friendship together. And he says, this is the end result of that friendship. My choosing you, my walking down that path with you will result in two things in your life. First of all, that you would produce fruit that lasts. He's been talking about this through this whole passage. That your life would bear fruit. Uh, and here he adds a, a qualifying statement to that. He says, not only will your life bear fruit, but it will bear fruit that lasts for eternity. The things that God wants to produce in your life and through your life will last for eternity. Some of the fruit, I believe, has to do with him making in you the life and character and nature of, of God himself. I think we wrongly have this impression, and I know, you know we get this idea that you know we get saved... And we kind of live this human, miserable, sinful existence, and we die. And then we go to heaven and God fixes everything and makes us a a new person in Him. And so no matter how good or bad it is now, when we get to heaven, we're all going to be pretty much fixed in the same. Right? Actually, I'm not so sure it works that way. I really believe it works like this. God saves us, and He wants to create, between now and the time we die, He wants to create and build in us fruit in us. He wants to shape into us the character and likeness of Christ. And we will take that thing that he has made, that fruit that our life has produced, into eternity with us and it will last forever. But here's a scary thought. What if we spend eternity in the shape we enter? Okay? What if God takes whatever it is we are, he cleans it up at, you know, at the end, and that's kind of what we are Forever. It's a scary thought, huh? Right? Uh, You know, Jesus says, some of them will enter into heaven as if by the skin of their teeth. They'll get there and they will be saved, but that's it. There's not going to be any, or or much, everlasting fruit. What if the season of producing fruit is now? And you will be for all eternity what God is able to build into your life now and today. Wow. Wow. I need to be friends with Jesus. I really need to let him have some influence in my life. Because I think there's some truth in that. Now, I think, you know, God gives us a new body. I don't think heaven's going to be bad for any of us. But I think just as on this earth, there are people who are genius, who are incredibly talented, gifted, who have extraordinary ability. And there are people who are on the other end who are kind of, you know, picked last for softball. I think the same thing's going to be true in heaven. And what's going to determine that is what we have allowed God to build through this friendship relationship here and now. He says, I want to produce fruit in you that will last for eternity. And the truth is, He will produce more in some than in others. Again, not because He doesn't want it. He says, that's the purpose I have chosen you for. To set you on this path of putting my fruit in your life. But the reality is, a lot of people... Don't spend much time in that friendship relationship, abiding relationship, where God is able to build His character into our life. And we enter into Heaven spiritually weak people who are in Heaven, but there's not much to us. I don't want to be that person. That's the first thing. Second thing, well, let me also say about fruit, not only does He do that in us, but He does produce fruit through us. And it's amazing amazing to me that through our friendship with Christ, our relationship with Him, we have the opportunity to impact other people's lives for eternity. And that goes all the way from one end of the spectrum of just being Christ and showing a person who doesn't know Jesus what a Christian looks like, to sharing with them about Christ, to planting seeds of the Gospel, to introducing them to Jesus, to showing them the basic steps to walk in the faith, to mentoring and discipling people who have been Christians their whole life and are still wanting more and more of Christ in their life and we get a chance to shape in other people through our friendships with them God's fruit. Not only does Jesus do that in our life but as we become friends with others. He says, this is my command that you love each other. That you walk in this path of friendship with others. And you put into their life and what you put in their life will last for eternity. Isn't it cool that when you get to heaven someday, you will get to see many people who are there and who are who they are because of your life. Praise God that He's invited us to partner with Him in building eternal fruit. But that's not all. He says, I, I've chosen you to build fruit. Secondly, I've chosen you so that you can be a person who sees uh, prayer answered. Uh, He says, I appointed you to produce fruit and so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. I love this one. I love this one. Uh, Part of God's purpose and plan for your life. One of the reasons He wants to be your friend, one of the reasons He wants to walk in close relationship with you is so that you will have a life full of answered prayer. Uh, God... Wants deeply to do his work in this world in powerful and miraculous ways, and he's chosen to do it primarily through responding to our prayer life. I just is amazing to me that God would confine Himself to working through our prayer, and I really believe that's true. I and I seen it borne out in my own life, and it's what Jesus is talking about here. In John chapter 14, he says this. Why would God do that? Why would God choose to work that way? Well, in John 14, Jesus says this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. And then you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. In other words, Jesus wants to do his work through us. And primarily the way he wants to do that is by us having this face-to-face friendship with God where we talk to him a whole lot as a friend. And we talk to him and he talks to us and we have this dialogue back and forth and he speaks his word into our heart and he instructs us. And he leads us to pray for things. And then he does those things. And God is glorified in it. God is glorified and we get to give testimony to his miraculous work in us and through us in response to prayer. Jesus wants us to have that kind of life. Uh, one of the coolest things about the abiding life of, in Christ is that we get to ask for stuff and, and God does it. Now, uh, one of my big hang, hang ups with this verse for a long time has been I tried it and it didn't work. I asked for stuff and I didn't get it. So I'm not going to ask anymore. Because I'm tired of being disappointed. That's kind of my personality in nature. I give up way too easy. I don't deal with disappointment well. So if God doesn't answer my prayer, I'm done. Well, let me say real quickly why God doesn't answer our prayer sometimes. First of all, easy answer, is we're not really being his friend. He says the way to see this happen is we walk down that pathway of friendship and relationship with him, that abiding life if we're not spending time in His presence communicating intimately and deeply with Him, if His Word is not speaking into our life, our prayers can't be guided according to His purpose and will. We pray selfishly. James says you ask and you receive not because you ask out of your own selfish motives. We're not really praying the heart of God. We're not face-to-face, heart-to-heart with God. Secondly, Sometimes I think we can be in that place of intimate fellowship and communion. And God still doesn't answer. Because even though it seems good to us, it's not the best. And Jesus will never give us anything less than the very best. So here's the deal. If you are walking with God and you feel confident that you are in a place of prayer and intimacy and Jesus doesn't answer, then you can know it's because he has something better. He has a better purpose Uh, And sometimes the reality is that what we're asking is for God to remove suffering and difficulty from our life. And sometimes God will answer that prayer, but He's telling us, right now that suffering and difficulty is doing a good work in you. And I'm not done. I'm not done with that work. And so, just a little longer, I'm going to keep the heat on until it produces the, the fruit I'm longing for in your life. Third reason He says, uh, if you want to be my friends, you have to uh, love me and do what I say. The reality is that oftentimes the answer comes in terms of God's command. God's answers are further instructions. Uh, God says, okay, here's my answer. Go out and do. And we say, well, I don't want to. (laughs) And God says, well, that's the answer. That's how it works. Uh, At a critical time in my life, I was seeking for God's will. I was praying earnestly. I was. Meditating, fasting, praying, seeking God's will. And God says, go be a preacher. And I says, but I want to know your will first. He says, go be a preacher. I said, I don't want to be a preacher. I just want to know your will. Right? God says, well, I can't help you then. You know, when you decide you want to obey, then, you know, my will will become really obvious to you. And that's exactly how it worked. I finally decided, okay, I'll obey. And he spoke very clearly, in very specific ways, in very direct answer to prayer. We have to be willing to be obedient um i uh ever since I think 1986 I, i've been I'm not very good at journaling but ever since 1986 I've been kind of keeping rough journals um i'm I'm terrible I don't write every day like in a year I may write like twelve times okay but what I have done a very good job with is keeping a list of prayer requests and I have just books notebooks full of prayers I thought well, this would be kind of fun to just See how God's answered prayer. And I I read through these. I was just amazed. Amazed at how God has answered prayers in my own life. And I just have pages, literally pages and pages, over the past 20 years of answered prayer. I don't know if you do that. You should. If you don't keep any other kind of journal, you ought to keep a list of prayer requests. And I have in here a lot of prayers that God didn't answer. Or didn't answer at that time. Or as I look back now, I see how he answered it. At the time, I didn't. Uh, God wants to answer prayer in your life. He wants you to have a kind of life that's full of cool stories in your prayer letters, of answered prayer, of God doing cool things. That comes about through this friendship relationship, this walk with Jesus, uh, not only as Lord, which He is, not only as King and Master, which He is, not only as Father, which He is, but as a friend with a heart-to-heart open relationship with Him, where He speaks into our life, where we hear His voice in the depths of our soul, in the quiet places of our heart, and we obey and we see God do amazing things. We pray and see God answer in amazing ways. Let's pray. Father, it's just amazing, amazing to think that you have invited us to be your friends. Father, I know in my own life I'm pretty selective about who I want to be my friends. Um, But you have invited us to draw into the inner circle, the closest circle of relationship with you. You've invited us to really be best friends and not to bring you down to a level where we don't see your awe and wonder and majesty, but the truth is you have brought yourself down to a place where you can bow low and hear our voice as we would bow down to listen to the whisper of a small child. You love us and you want to be friends. Lord, I pray that we would long for that kind of relationship. That we would not be satisfied with living our life in the camp while God's far off in the distance and we watch other people enter the tent of meeting and have this relationship. But we can't, or we don't, because we're experiencing God from a distance. Lord, we don't want to do that. Lord, bring us home. Bring us into your very arms. Bring us close to your heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.